Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week you will know, first of all, as Dan Johnson in Sky Living's Mount Pleasant, where I absolutely loved him and loved the show. For six years on Sky, it was just a perfect show. Was it a soap opera? Well, it was only on once a week, but it had all the elements. And it also had some of my all-time favourite soap stars on the show. And it just was the best of British TV. And I can't wait to talk to him about that as well as you'll know him as Tony Manning in The Bay of past three years on ITV. Such a fantastic drama, a death each year. He comes in, Tony Manning, to solve the crime. Who was the murderer? It's always got a nice clear beginning, middle and end. It's the perfect binge which you can watch right now on the ITV Hub and on ITV Wednesday nights at nine o'clock. And if that wasn't enough, he's a singer, he's a musician, and he's been acting basically since he was seven years old, since he starred in Oliver. I'm delighted to welcome to Security and Secure the brilliant Dan Ryan. Hello, Dan. Hello. There's some things in there that I wasn't expecting you to know of, as, but that's good. <laughs> Dan, I know everything about you. There is nothing yeah, I do not know. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to talking about this then. <laughs> well, I think that there's going to be a lot in here. We're going to because we're going to talk about your acting career, and that's been amazing. And also, a lot of things have happened to you in your personal life, if that's okay to talk about as well. And then we'll bring it together to get to these two iconic roles, which really it justifies you as being best of British. You know, you play the best of British style characters. That's a very nice. I like that Monica. That's very very nice indeed. And don't worry, I wasn't calling you Monica then. <laughs> no, he's a really. That's a very good. Uh, yeah, that's. I, I like that. That sums me up. I think that's nice. Well, it just you just know when you're going for a role, you can think of you. You've got that vision. You know, sometimes people think Sean Dooley. I go, no, it's not Sean Dooley. It's Dan Ryan. This is a Dan Ryan gig. <laughs> we uh, we yes we are slightly uh, in competition. Me and Sean. Luckily, we're pals. We did work. It's always a funny one when you've got, you know, you do have rivals in the business, as it were. And what tends to happen is until you've met them, you know, they're, they're these figures who are kind of like, oh, I bet he gets it, I bet he gets it. And then you meet them and you become mates and it, then it's a bit like every time they get a job, you're like, ah, oh, well, of course it was going to be them and thank goodness they're a really nice person. Hopefully that's what I tend to feel now. But I do have still, there are some I haven't met, so they're still on my hit list. And I shan't be naming names. <laughs> well, you can't be, but you could if you wanted to. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> I'll spare them that. They know who they are because they, I'm on their hit list as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, generally, generally, it's healthy competition. And I don't mind a bit of that. It is healthy competition. The problem is, though, in the media business that we both know is that you haven't got a problem with them. They haven't got a problem with you. It's just everyone else wants to create this rivalry. And so suddenly you second-guess yourself and suddenly you're thinking negatively of them because you've kind of had that seed planted in your head of, oh, I'm better than them, or, oh, they shouldn't have got that. And suddenly it makes you second-guess yourself. Yes, no, precisely. And it does. And it and that's, that's the point where 
you know, you have to just have a little word with yourself. Or if you've got an understanding partner, you know, you can talk about it and they can go, yeah, but you know, you just, you, you, you're going too far with, you, you're, you're overthinking it. Overthinking is probably one of my biggest things, problems I have with myself is I do overthink everything. And uh, yeah, and I'm trying to learn. It's actually one of my sort of New Year's resolutions is to um, not think less because there's a lot to think about, but just not be quite so uh, hypercritical of myself and kind of wonder, you know, just second guessing what other people are thinking. It's none of my business, you know, and I can't, I can't get in other people's heads, so just leave it alone, you know? It's so interesting you say that because I've got a bit of paranoia to me as well. And again, same as you, my New Year's resolution was to do the exact same thing. And I've worked out if I journal each night, it changes yeah. everything. And I'm really into and I'm really advocating journaling at the moment. And it's that thing of, I had it yesterday. I put a TikTok up of me talking about manifestations. So my sister said to me, at the table in front of my whole family, you know, I don't know what you were doing that video, but take that down. You know, it's embarrassing. And I went, and in my head, I, I got really annoyed at her and I snapped and I left the family home and I went back to my flat. I was like, I'm really angry. And I started journaling and I, and I literally wrote down, I wasn't upset about the comment. It's my sister doesn't understand manifestation. I need to explain to her why it's important to me and what it means to me because she's never experienced that before. Yeah. And it's that thing of that paranoia of working out, right, what's happened now tell me the facts. So you think something really bad happened. Right, what are the facts? What happened? And also, what would the worst outcome have been had you had that thing actually happened? And then you go, actually, do you know what? What was I worrying about? But it's very hard in the moment to do that. Yeah, it is. And I think that is, I think that is a brilliant technique to sit down. I'm absolutely terrible at firing off a tweet and regretting it and, uh, and stuff like that. And maybe, you know, maybe... You know what you're doing is writing things down, and maybe, and that's just me writing something down. You know, a thought that is coming to my head, and maybe I should be trying to personalise those a little bit more, and and sit down on my own, and and you know, and write down these thoughts before, you know, sharing them with other people and lots of people that I don't even know. So sometimes I, I question, you know, and even and my wife sometimes says to me, oh why 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 I'm gonna. Oh, I'm, she said, have you just put that on Twitter? And I go, yeah, yeah, you know, from a conversation that we've had. And she go, you don't need to share that with everyone. And maybe that's that's a little downfall of mine as well. I, I don't, not that I think everyone thinks the same as me, but sometimes I should just shut up, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but it's knowing your audience. I had this yesterday. Everything seems to happen yesterday on this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I was talking to someone about Alanis Morissette's new musical. They said, oh, yeah. uh, is it coming to the UK? I said, oh, yeah, it is. Do you want me to take you? Because obviously, you know, I'll, I'll just be yeah. on it. I'm going to say it all out there anyway. You know, obviously I get free tickets to the musicals. Yeah, and I said, yeah. do, you want me, do you want me to go? And she went, oh, no, I was actually going to take my mum. We're big fans. I said, oh, you're going to put your hand in your pocket, i.e. Alanis Morissette reference. <laughs> And I didn't get an answer. And last night at 10 p.m., I had to text a person and say, and it's someone I work with, so it's like, you know, that boundary of don't text out of the hours. I said, I, I, please, I wasn't insulting you. I was trying to be funny using a Lannis Morissette reference. And she went, oh, my God, I thought I replied. And it's because of the tone, because of that no reply, I get yeah. so paranoid over every yeah. single message I send if it's not got that instant response, and especially when you're making a joke and the conversation yeah. stopped and you think, oh, my God, have I offended them or did they just not see it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I have this problem with my kids where, you know, my two older boys, I'll, I'll send them a message and we'll have an exchange that goes on for, you know, on WhatsApp, of, you know, about nine different things, and then I'll say something, and then they won't reply. And I'll go, well, what happened there? What happened? And it's just their kids, and something else came into their life, and they went off and did it and didn't read the next WhatsApp. You know what I mean? They literally stopped, they'd ended their conversation. But I'm sat there going... What, I'm reading it back and going, did I say something there? That it sh I don't know. And then I'll message back and go, did you get that? Did you see that message? Oh, what's happened? You know, da da da. And it's just they're like, oh, sorry, no, I I, I had something in the microwave. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, it's hard, um, mate. It's hard. Paranoid and overthinking and all of those. We're all all guilty of it. Yeah, it's that it, that is tough. Well, what I find interesting about you, Dan, is that your whole career has been you acting since day dot. I and mean, we'll talk about 
the acting in a sec, but I think what we need to do is to get in our minds about the real Dan Ryan and go back to culture uh, in the 1970s. Yeah. So near Warrington, not near enough Lancashire, but it's there. It's a you know it's a town <laughs> yeah. that exists. Uh, talk to me about your upbringing because what we'll do is it'll be interesting how the paranoia played in when it came to acting and going up for roles. And I think that's where my listeners yeah. and your fans will really want to know what is it really like going for roles. So let's go back to the beginning. Talk to me about your childhood, mate. Yeah, so I come from, uh, as you say, a little place called Kulcheth. And people go, Kulcheth? No, Kulcheth, C-U-L-C-H-E-T-H. It's an unusual named place, but nowhere is when you're growing up. But there you go. That's And so it's a small village outside of Warrington. It's near to Lee. And it was originally in Lancashire. So I was born in Lancashire and I lived in Lancashire till I was 11 and they moved the borders and then I became somebody from Cheshire. So that's how that happened. Yeah, and my dad had a multitude of jobs and eventually uh, decided to uh, open a business of prize bingo. So prize bingo is exactly like what you might have seen in Blackpool or, you know, in seaside towns where you win things rather than mummy. So it would range from, you know, tins of corned beef up to televisions. And predominantly women would play there all day. They'd sit on the, the in, it had about 50 seats in it, I think. Uh, it wasn't a big place, 50, 60 seats. And, and they'd play, some would play all day. And then literally with their winnings, they would then get whatever it was off the shelf, exchange it for what they would have for their tea for instance. I mean, you know, you had a freezer full of meat and all that kind of thing. So it's a bizarre kind of business, really, if you if you look at it. Yeah, and he had a bingo hall, and my mum had a little shop selling, like, wool and school uniforms and stuff like that. And I had probably what might be described as a middle-class, lower-middle-class upbringing, but I had two parents who'd come from nothing, so the mentality in the house was working class. You know, we weren't given everything on a you know, on a plate, but they were fair parents, great parents, and, you know, and I didn't really want for much, you know, so I had a really, really nice childhood. And that was you and your brother, who's six years younger than you, worth saying, so you weren't an only child, there were two of you in this. Yeah, that's right, that's right, so yeah, so we grew up together, yeah, he still lives up there, he's a car salesman, that was my little life, and it was perfectly happy, I liked school, you know, I'm one of those kids, because... Ultimately, that's where my mates were. So, you know, I, I've always said that to all my boys. I go, why would you not want to go to school? Because that's where your mates are. Um, I know the learning thing is that's the that's the only bit in school which is playing in the backside. But ultimately, you know, your chums are there. And, uh, you know, and I didn't find it, you know, I was sort of middle of the road learner. I wasn't brilliant at anything and I wasn't, you know, but I was able to keep up. So, you know, everything was, was uh, had a really kind of pleasant childhood. Which is very interesting because when you think of actors, it's that thing about hiding behind the mask. You know, you're playing yeah. another character. Comedians, and I've had a lot of comedians on recently yeah. who have said they go on stage because they need that worth. They need their self-worth, which is having people laugh at them and have that attention. Then you've got us sure. who, who work in radio and we're... Well, look, it's what we're doing right now, talking into a microphone in an empty room. And it's, I think, a lot of radio people are very lonely and didn't really have anyone around them. And they basically, and I'm not, uh, you know, excuse the pun, playing with themselves. You know, I literally just play the tape machine. That's how I, you know, learnt and watched TV alone. Um, So you're playing behind a mask, but yet you had a really good childhood. Um, Although your dad passed away, if it's okay to talk about, uh, when you were very young as well. Yeah, yeah, I was um, I was 17 when he died. My brother was 11. Yeah, so very young, very shocking, sudden death, heart attack. You know, just literally, I say, drop dead. He was sat. He was he'd, he'd washed the cars, he'd mowed the lawn, he'd sat down in front of the snooker to watch the telly. My brother came home from school, gave him, went in the room, said hello, went upstairs, got changed, came down. He was dead. Just died in his armchair in front of the telly nothing anyone could do yeah so that was obviously massive trauma you know a massive big thing i didn't know i don't think i knew anyone at school whose parents had died i don't remember anyone sort of being off school and 
you know, people saying, oh, the, you know, whatever's happened. So I didn't have anything to kind of equate it with. So I just did it my own way. But what I did remember thinking was, I did think if I don't go into school tomorrow, everyone will be talking about me and it and wondering if I was all right. And I didn't want to be the topic of conversation and I didn't want to be anything sort of out of the ordinary to have happened to me that people would then be weird about talking about so i remember going to school the next day and i think word had got out it's quite a small place where i grew up and you know people knew and had heard and everything and then it was after that i sort of so i sort of smoothed the path for then not going into school for a week or whatever but i felt huge responsibility in the house i think for my mom my mom was 39 you know she was a widow at 39 i remember very much feeling like my relationship with her changed overnight. I suddenly saw her as not my mom, as a you know, as a human being, and and uh, it it sort of changed how I thought about her. It, it made me when I left home a year later and, and moved to London and went to drama school. It made me be. I kind of grew up instantly. I think I thought I was more grown up than I was, but um, it, it, it sort of changed, obviously. It changed everything. And um, I kind of worried about my brother so much because he was so young. Uh, and it, I, I worried that it, as, as a, the kind of grow, as the, as the grown-up male figure left in the house, that I had that responsibility. But there was nothing I could, you know, you didn't, Back then, you didn't have mobile phones or anything. I used to call my mum. You know, we had an appointment to ring each other at, like, you know, tea time on a Sunday. I'd go in a call box and, and ring her and check everything was all right. So that was a whole different, you know, moving away from home was a whole different thing than it is now. And, and that changed my relationship with my mum, and I saw her as a, as a kind of individual, not just as a... And it made me not want to sort of ever burden her from that point on uh in 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 my life i mean we're very close but what i meant was i I think it just stopped me asking things of her so much you know and and i became independent very very quickly well you had to be the man of the house and that's really hard especially at 17 when you know you're going through the latest stages of puberty you've not really matured yet because you've not had enough world experience and then that comes to you what do you think your dad left you with? What were those characteristics, those traits that you think he instilled in you at the time? Yeah, well, I think everyone loved my dad. He was um, he was fun. He was they everyone knew him as Jimmy Bingo because of the Bingo Hall, and subsequently, I would occasionally get called Danny Bingo. He was just a good fellow. He worked hard. He he you know he was a proper grafter. My dad. He seemed very happy. He, he was also of that age and generation that he went to the, he went to the pub for a pint every night at, at nine o'clock. He'd go out and have a, a pint or two and come back. And then, you know, to so my mum's, I used to drive her mad because he'd get me out of bed when he'd come back from the pub and stuff like that because he felt he hadn't seen enough of me. So, uh, you know, I had one of those terrible sleep patterns as as a kid of, of kind of almost not going to sleep till 11, you know, half 10 at night because he'd, he'd come back and he, he'd want to have a chat and, 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 and see me. Um, I, it's really difficult to know what, what sort of gifts he left me with. I think I definitely have a sense of humour from him. I definitely had some kind of confidence and confidence to perform from him he and this wasn't a man i knew but he used to go and sing in the catholic clubs um not uh, not like a he wasn't you know he wasn't an entertainer but he would get up and sing you know and regularly sing a song so i guess that i guess a, a, um the fear of performing wasn't within me because it, it seemed normal to do in my house you know he would sing and he was a lovely singer yeah so i guess i mean i guess all the the things i sort of regret is i would really really have liked to have gone and had a few pints with my dad you know that's that's the one thing to know him as an adult basically to for me 
you know, as the kid, for me to be an adult and to have spent time with him is the thing that I really, really, that, that's the one thing that I I feel is missing in, in my life is, is that figure not having been, and you know what? He would have been so bloody proud of me as well, getting to do the thing that I always dreamed of doing. And he died before I'd even got in at, at drama school and applied for drama school even. So he wouldn't. He never saw that. And and you know that's that is a hole. That is something that obviously not I think about every day. But if I do think about it and I'm having a conversation with you, it, I think. Oh, I really missed that, but he would have been super proud, and I would have loved to have heard that, you know, in my life as well. If you could have a drink with him right now, what would you be yeah. saying to him? Oh, that's good. Wow. I, I think we'd talk about everything and nothing. I think he was that kind of guy that he'd, he'd be relating he'd be telling me stories i missed the story you know i still remember jokes that my dad used to tell you know and i bad jokes old jokes and i think it would just be that it'd be banter i think we would have got on as men yeah i would i would have liked that i would have liked that so much what do you think about your two boys now that he's instilled in you as a parent? Because it's very easy to kind of say, you know, he was my best friend and, uh, and you know, we were of, you know, thick as thieves, you know, I was my father's son. But what do you think he's done to you as the grandfather to your boys? Huh. I think that I would have liked them to, them to have known him as well. I mean, that, that, that's another huge sort of shame. Um, because I think they, in turn, would have maybe understood me a little bit better as well because I'm I guess I'm this isolated fit you know my my mum's still very much with us of course uh, but uh, so they they can see that journey but I think they would have I think would helped I, I think knowing a grandparent helps you know the parents mm. and uh, yeah and I, I, that would have been good I mean what I always think about my boys is you know I think about you know mistakes I've made or whether I've been a good dad because I, I got divorced from their mum when they were small seven and three and so I haven't obviously I've had my kids a lot in my life weekends holidays you know a lot so I don't feel like they've missed out on having me there but equally as a kind of divorced dad I think it gives you the time sometimes to be, when you're away from them, to think of the kind of errors you've made and whether the judgments you've made and whether they've gone in certain directions because you didn't have a an eye on them all the time or whether... But equally, they're, you know, they're both attempting to be actors. So I think if, you know, it's, it's a great sort of thing is I, I know that they can't... I've, not that they have rejected me at all, but, it, you know, in your dark kind of paranoid moments, you think, oh, what do they think of me as a person? Well, if they're both trying to be actors, then they're not trying to not be like me, if you see what I mean. If, if, they're, if they're both trying to go into the same profession, then there's something along the way where uh, I, I could definitely, you know, hope that they have, you know, they respect me and what I do and certainly it hasn't put them off and if they didn't like me then they'd be you know trying to do something else <laughs> but do you want to put them off because you know the paranoia you know the insecurities and you know the downtimes of being an actor obviously you get some great moments but you also know yeah. it's a lot of out of work for example do you want yeah. them to be actors then I want them to be successful actors and I want them to be happy actors but within that if their DNA is not able to be, because it is about rejection. What we do is about downtime and people telling you that you're not right. You pile that on top of itself, and that's what is the downfall, brings down a, a lot of people. And, and, you know, it's why it's a terrifying profession on that level. But, you know, they've got an auntie who's an actress, a successful actress, and they've got me who, you know, they not really witnessed me being particularly out of work i mean they've seen some bad uh, you know a couple of bad times but on the whole they've seen me having a career and that's 
the thing that a lot of actors don't have. So whether I've given them the full picture of what it is like to be an actor, uh, I don't know. I would never put them off. You know, my parents never, you know, there was nothing show business about my family in the slightest. There wasn't a relative who was an actor. There wasn't somebody who was a singer elsewhere. There there was nobody who did, who was in the business. And my parents never, ever said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. They never put me off once. All they did was go, yeah, go and have a go. Yeah, do that. Yeah, try it. You know, always. Never stood in my way and never said no. So that's, you know, that ethos is what I would pass on to my boys is is um, I'm never going to tell them not not to pursue. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Something, but equally, if you change your mind, do something else. You know what I mean? Because it does, it is, it can be a destructive profession in terms of, the time and the, the the just the fact that it, it is your number one passion, you know, that's what it's been for me for my whole life and, you know, um, probably to the detriment of one or two other things because it just, for me, it takes all my commitment and all my kind of, all the room in my head sometimes uh, when I'm playing a role. And I know it changes me as a person sometimes when I'm playing things. I know I bring stuff home. I'm not somebody who, you know, drops it at the door. I'm not saying I'm in character all the time, but I know, you know, your body, your body as an actor, if you spend all day going through the, you know, let's, if we're talking about the Bay, you know, playing the end of your marriage and all of the stuff that happened in the, the, the last series and et cetera, et cetera. When you come home, your brain doesn't know that you were pretending. It went through those emotions and that is what's, can be exhausting or what makes you bring home a bad mood or some baggage or some I'm not making excuses for it I'm just I just know that's the way it is sometimes it's not you know I don't think very often for instance when I was doing Mount Pleasant it was easy and breezy and you know we had a great time and the stuff that we were playing was the gamut of, of uh, emotions you know we, we would be crying and laughing in a day but you know, so that wasn't one of those shows. Uh, but sometimes uh, you do bring stuff home with you, and and um, cool, we've gone from that from what from talking about my kids and we and putting them off. Yeah, so um, it's a great profession when you're working, but sometimes when you're working, it takes all of you, and that's you know that's what they know that. They know that we've, we, you know, we've had lots of uh, 
you know conversations about about it and the business and all the rest of it so they do know that um so whatever they want to do they can do it as far as i'm concerned well just one more on that just because it's so interesting what you're talking about is Mm. the fact that as well you know you saying that you're bringing home your work that's and it goes back to the beginning of the conversation about journaling that's not the worst thing we know that actors you might change your look to fit the role you know you might shave all your hair off for example if you're yeah. playing a cancer patient and therefore you're putting yourself yeah. in the mindset we know that you might be having an american accent and so you'll talk in your accent and that dialect for the period of time whilst you're doing that role at the end yeah. of the day if we're thinking of it from positive spin it's you're putting all your energy into that role so those arguments that you're having with your wife at home it means you can yeah. play them out with your on-screen wife and then it, it feels for you a little bit more real that you're not suddenly acting you're just being the character in that moment. So you're either being a Dan or you're being a Tony and you're portraying yeah. that. And then the audience who is watching that are going, okay, I get it. I get Tony's aggression. I know that, for example, this series, and it's not a spoiler, but you know, his yeah. son wants him to go for graduation. I know that I can't yeah. because I've got work. And I know that that call is important because <laughs> I'm on the case to try and find a killer. You know, I can put myself in that mindset because I've just had yeah. that argument at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I've missed birthdays and I've missed important things and sports days and your kids, you know, winning a medal at school and not being able to be there and all the rest of it. And I feel I carry all the guilt of that all the time. You know, it's uh, having missed, having missed stuff and not been there for stuff. I remember one time, you know, Jim was, and I got told, um, Jimmy was win- winning and uh, player of the year for his football team, and uh, it was being given it at the Amex Stadium in Brighton, and you know it was a big deal. And I had a-, a window of time. I was filming in Manchester, and I had a window of time that I drove down. I- this is not me bigging myself up, but these are the things that you try and not miss, and the things that you that I've tried to go through to in order to be, you know, a good dad a good parent uh you know and i drove five hours whatever it took four and a half hours down to the amex saw him get his thing stayed for an hour and went back to manchester you know in literally just drove there and back in one go because if i'd have missed that i i know it just would have been another thing that i'll be carrying around on going you know, I wasn't able to be it because it's a, because that's so. I'm not a very. I try not to be a selfish person. I actually got I got criticised uh, at drama school by I got you know one of the teachers there was sat me down. He said, you know what? You're not selfish enough as an as a, as a as a as a person and therefore as an actor. And you've got to you know because it's about taking your own space, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've always tried not to be a selfish person. And this, the job of being an actor, I think, is quite selfish because it takes your time and it takes your, it takes your mind, you know. To it does for me anyway. I can't, I can't say for everybody, but um, for me, it's, it's, you know, it's caused me a lot of guilt and anxiety over the years, and but purely nothing to do with the work, just what it's kind of taken the stuff that I haven't been able to do because I've had to be somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Professionally, obviously, as you've said, you've always done very well. You know, we're going to talk about your two big roles and you've been in plays, et cetera, et cetera. But mentally from this conversation we've had that, there's been a lot of, and I don't want to use the word baggage, but you've had a lot of emotions and you've been on a quite an emotional journey through your whole career. And, through your life i just wonder because your professional world has gone so well but your personal life at times hasn't are you happy right now dan Uh, do you know what i am happy right now i think i'm probably happier than i've ever been right now but you know that can change in a heartbeat you know through the pandemic and everything else when i didn't i didn't have any work whatsoever you know the first couple of months was like bliss because it was actually a funny time of of you know you do think if you're not auditioning for things or people are getting jobs or you know that's going on all the time all the time work is happening you're hearing about people doing well you're thinking oh if i'd have been available then i could have gone up for that 
blah blah blah. For though for the like the first two months of the lockdown, you knew that there was no other actor in the world, pretty much, working. There was no auditions happening. There was nothing so at the it was a real time of mental freedom. And I've talked to a lot of people who who felt that and people not in the business who felt that for those two months. That was fine, but then it carried on for about an, another 12 months after that where I didn't do anything, where I would say I was not very fine at all. You know, and it made me really examine. I guess the thing is, I made my hobby my profession. And when people say to me, you know, why don't you find a hobby? Well, I got one, and it's acting. I have to have made it my job. I haven't got a hundred hobbies because I mean I still play music. I've got you know three guitars in front of me and a keyboard, and I still do that. I still uh, I don't write as many songs as I as I once did, but you know that's that's my other um, sort of escape. Um, at the moment, everything feels like it's in sort of balanced i'm not particularly worried about my two older boys my little boy wasn't very well is well i love where i live and work is going well you know and i'm i'm very i'm very very happy with my wife so at this present moment in time everything is is great actually yeah was there an adrenaline running through you as well? You know, obviously we said that every Wednesday night, ITV, The Bay, you can watch it now. So you're going to have that instant reaction at 9 o'clock every week. The next day, yeah. people are catching up. And then obviously people who are binging it and obviously on now are watching Mount Pleasant again. There must be that bit of adrenaline as well going through you, that, that validation of, I'm good at my job. Look at all these people who are messaging me to tell me how much they're enjoying the shows. And it's worth it. You know, everything that I've gone through, it's worth it for now. Even though I was out of work for a year look where yeah. i am now yeah yeah no you're absolutely right it, i mean it sometimes um sort of catches me by surprise that you know because i think i still have well i know i do i know i still have insecurities i still feel you know imposter syndrome all of that kind of stuff but then equally you know i can flip from one side to the other and go no actually dan you're really good Look at, you know, look at this. This is happening. You know, people want to talk to you, you know, and that's great. But ultimately underlying that, there is still this kind of odd thing that I've carried my whole life, a feeling of not quite being kind of good enough or that, not that I'm a fake. I don't think that as much anymore. I carry insecurities, insecurities like we we all have. They're no different in, in me. And I guess that's the the only thing. I really wish I could get rid of them. But, you know, that's something that I wish I could feel more confidence, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, an odd thing. I wish I was a more confident person. Um, that's the only thing that I could kind of ask, for, you know, ask the universe for is, is to feel, yeah, it, it is, it's pure confidence. It's just confidence of, of who... I am and what my position is and all. and I guess because it's so changeable in the profession that I do you know one you know one minute you you know you're doing well or you then you're playing a small part in something and sometimes playing a small part makes you feel a lot less confident than playing a a, a larger role uh, that makes sense because it 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 feels I don't know um how to describe it's not undermining it's not the right word but but somehow when you get a larger role the pressure that comes with it, it helps you helps me sort of balance all of that stuff in, in in my mind um yeah that would be the only gift a bit more confidence i'd i'd like to have as a person see i think it's it... So even if you did a soap opera, for example, and you're an established character and you've been there for years, the same people, the same actors are still getting those same things. You know, we know that, for oh, example, Danny Dyes just left EastEnders. We know that Adam Woodyard took a break yeah. as Ian Beale from EastEnders because it's, well, is this all I can do? Can I only be Ian Beale yeah. or a Mick Carter on a soap? And that's great. And, you know, the money and the fame. But what does that mean yeah. as me as an actor that I've trained all these years for? At the same time, I'm of the impression that I've got the same insecurities as you, the confidence, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I honestly don't think until I die, and I know that sounds quite morbid, but I've always yeah. said, I don't think until I die, 
I'll ever reach that because it means I've always got this ladder to grow and it's an invisible ladder and I'm growing on it day by day but I'm never going to reach the top of that ladder I'm never going to be yeah. confident because if I was confident then I become settled and if I'm settled then what am I pushing myself for so yeah, same yeah, as yeah. you you know if you're doing you know again we'll, and we're going to talk about Mount Pleasant because I'm desperate to talk about it but <laughs> you know playing that role that you played there as Dan Johnson, you know, it's a very easy role that could have just kept running. If that show had been on for another 10 years, I could have easily seen you there. And we know that, for example, yeah. Ellen Pompeo, who is Meredith Grey in Grey's Anatomy, yeah. has, uh, I don't know if you've watched Grey's, but she's been in it since the beginning. She's now exec yeah. producer on it. And yeah. she, that's her career. Her career is there. If she gets yeah. jobs elsewhere, potentially, but she doesn't need to climb anymore. She's got it. She's got the confidence. Yeah. And so... If you're a jobbing actor and you're having to audition and you're having to do self-tapes and keep up with the kids and keep up with the Sean Doody's of the world, if you yeah. become content with that, then why are you going to push yourself to get to that role? And if you don't get that role, then then what happens? You know, it, yeah. it's a weird thing the way the mind works, isn't it? Yeah, it, no, it, def it definitely is. It definitely is. And, you know, I, in, in many ways, I look, the amount of work I've done, it looks like it's been a sort of easy path, but it hasn't been, you know, and that the... the amount of jobs I've lost is, you know, phenomenal. It, I've just always had good agents. It's put me up for lots and lots and lots and lots of things. Um, yeah, I, I don't look at, I don't look at, at, the, at my career and where I am in any remote position of safety. You know, people say, do you not worry about your next job? And I go, yes, I do. You worry about where it's coming from. You know, do you not, do you not think, Oh, what you know? What, how can you do that as a job and not know what's coming next? Well, I got used to it, but it's still, you know, it's still a fear. It's still a fear that it all ends tomorrow. I guess that coursing through your veins does it, it certainly makes you a certain type of person. I, I audition for everything that I'm in. You know, the, I, I think the, the, you know there are. A handful of actors who don't have to audition, but you know, because I often hear about people. I went, "Oh, you audition?" They go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." Yeah, um, you know. So we're we're all out there hustling, hoping, you know, worrying. Should should I call my agent today? Should I not? Are they going to call me? <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it is precarious and it is scary. And, and and that's what I would say, and you just made me realise that I've got used to it, but it doesn't mean that it's that it's that it's gone away any of that kind of worry. Oh, completely, completely. Well, look, yeah. let's talk yeah. happy things. Let's talk about yeah. Mount Pleasant because, like I said, it's such a groundbreaking show that was on Sky for a good six years, and the cast is just incredible. If I read out a list, a couple of names for those <laughs> yeah. to know, you know, Sally Lindsay was your wife, Bobby Bull, yeah. the late Bobby Bull, Paula Wilcox, yeah. Angela Griffin, Ted Robbins, Jill Halfpenny, Sean Rees, and I know I'm, I'm reading a select few. I know, um, I know. The list goes on, uh, you know, Lisa Tarbuck, James Dreyfus was incredible, Claire Goose, Robson yeah. Green. Nigel Harmon, Samantha Womack. I'm not going to keep going because there's just too many. Every single yeah. person of the who's who just appeared. And it was like that weird thing of, well, Waterloo Road had ended. The bill had ended. Yeah. yeah. Holby City, we know, is now ended. But it was just a place to go, All right, I've done EastEnders. I've done Corey. Where next? Oh, we'll just go to Mount Pleasant for a couple of weeks. There we go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone heard, all the actors heard it was a, a really great job. You know, and I think um, especially uh, a lot of people coming from sort of, you know, a lot of soap actor backgrounds, you know, which is, we all know, is so intense that, you know, they're just, I say churning it out, and I mean that respectfully, um, but I mean just the slog of it is ongoing. You know, one of the things of being an actor is, you know, someone said to me the other day about what, retiring, and I said, well, that's never going to happen, and actors don't retire because we don't work every day as a rule. You know what I mean? We have times off. We have, even when we've got a job, we've got a few days off here, maybe a week off there and all the rest of it. So we don't have that kind of, that nine-to-five thing. So I think people liked coming to do, the, to, to do Mount Pleasant because they had just heard it was a really fun place to work. And it was, and we, you know, I mean, it started that way, and it, and then it became a, a kind of ethos that it was, you know, sometimes the 
the banter was so strong between takes that because remember we had a producer once saying you know she said oh, you know some execs coming today you know who'd been on it all the way through so they knew what the atmosphere was like on set it was it was it was fun and it was lively and it was you know put downs and like I say banter and sometimes that she'd go you know don't you not do all that messing around between takes and you go do you know what it's not actually messing around it's actually keeping a level of energy that the show needs to operate on to work in this kind of fine balance between exactly what you said before it's not a soap it's not a you know, it's not a gritty drama. It's got elements of all that in there. It's essentially a just, um, it's meant to be relatable, fun, you know, and, and that kind of energy went on all the time. So anyone who came on set was like, oh, my God, this is such, this is such a great place to work. And, and that's what it was like for, for six years. And that's what, you know, People who who came and and you know guest I say guested well you know re- all the regular people but obviously people came in and out um, they they just loved being there and we loved doing it it was it was such such fun. Um, well, you had such yeah, an ensemble cast of people like Sally Lindsay and Toy Wilcox who can play those hard bits. You know, when the fire happened, for example, and yeah. they can play those moments oh, that yeah. needs yeah. a serious actor. But then also you've got people like Ted Robbins and Bobby Bull who can play <laughs> the lighter bits. And uh, oh my God, right? You've, you've just given me a flashback. The biggest thing for me of the show is yeah. you and Bobby Bull doing your little <laughs> singing routines. They will go down, and this is what I wish was trending on TikTok. They are just yeah. legendary. For those that don't know, you used to come in and you would come in and just do, you know, Katy Perry, I Kiss a Guy, and you'd both do a little thing together. It just, it's just perfect scenes to balance out the hard times as well on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and again, there were, you know, when Sarah Hooper wrote it, you know, it was, it was, it was a run. I think we did it about two or three times in the first series, and people just really responded to it, and it. And they were, they were just, it was so random and odd. And it was, it was just two people who uh, knew each other. So you just well. got each other. You got yeah, each we other. really you got clicked. each other. And it was, and it was like a challenge. It was like, if I sing the first line of this song, are you going to join it? You know what I mean? And it was, it was just a quirky little odd thing that became, you know, I wonder what we're going to be, what they're going to choose for us to do in each series. And, and you know, then... You'd go, oh my god, we're doing Lady Gaga. And did Bobby <laughs> know the songs? That. Was he aware of those songs? No, he never knew any of the yeah, songs. That's what I love about never, it. That's what I love never. about it. What an actor! <laughs> he go, go, what's this? What's this song, Dan? What's this song? And um, I, I'd sing it to him. Oh, I think I might have heard it. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then he'd be, what's the choreo? What what we're doing for the choreography? So you know, I'd come up with something ridiculous. You know, because I'm not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination, which is why they were just kind of dumbass kind of moves that we do. But we, you know, we'd work, we would work it out, and and also it was a challenge to try and make the crew laugh as well, because because uh, it was such an odd and lovely uh, gift as as characters to be able to to do that together, and I loved that man. So, so much. You know, it's funny you talking about my, my, you know, talking about my dad. And, you know, he loved Cannon and Ball as, as, as much as I did. And um, he would have, him and Bobby would have got on so well. And I often think that when I met Bob, I was really scared of meeting him first off because, you know, I wasn't known for doing comedy. So the whole idea of trying to be funny in front of someone who has all the funny bones was really, really terrifying. Um, we clicked so well, so quickly. And I think I, I kind of did uh, adopt Bob a little bit as a father figure during that time. You know, we fell out once or twice, me and him, you know, because he misunderstood something I'd said. Almost almost that we got too close, if you know what I mean. Um, but stayed at his house and, uh, and you know, I, I loved him so, so much that, that was that was a very hard one in during COVID to losing the virus was uh, I, it, it hit me very hard I have to say it did as it will have done with a lot of people and of course it will with his family more so than me but I, you know I, it, it was a real tough one 
for him to go. It it was it, it was dark that little period. Yeah. Would so you like I to think him. that your dad and him are together up there, <laughs> laughing at you, watching you, and just they've they've now met. You didn't manage to meet that make them meet, but together yeah. they're now looking over you, supporting you. Oh, Johnny, that's some, such a lovely, lovely thought. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one with me. Yes, thank you. I've, I, I that's a great thought of them being together. Well, yeah. I think it's something we've got to leave with. And, you know, and, and Bobby, if those who are a big fan, the not going out Christmas special, because also he was there as Frank. Again, they did a little tribute to him and it was just beautiful at the beginning yeah. of their Christmas show. It's yeah, I'm now really be on the iPad right. now. Um, Dan, I can't thank you enough, mate. You're just, I could talk to you for another hour easily, but I'm, your time has been so precious. I know how busy I know. you are. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we didn't even get anywhere near the bay, did we? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the reason we're supposed to talk. Well, look, that, we'll, I'll do a really quick wrap up for you. Right. So you're in the bay. You're there, Tony Manning. If you've not seen the first two series, watch it on the ITV Hub. It's brilliant. Third season, yeah. I think it's the best one yet. Marsha Thompson comes in. She's got a lot of family problems as the family liaison officer for this Asian family because their kid dies. Uh, she's also got her own problems in her own personal life. Uh, her, her husband, if anyone is trying to play the game like I did, it's Neil Sloan. He was in Hollyoaks as Niall, Myra's uh, secret son, back in 2007. Yeah. And it's such a brilliant series. Just watch it on the ITV Hub. Does that work? <laughs> I've not told you who died. <laughs> That's everything else. <laughs> Dan Ryan, you've been amazing. been listening to kidding and me johnny c but if you like what you heard please do go and rate the podcast subscribe and share with friend it's so important that you say it's okay to not be okay and as you can see with someone like dan a great example an amazing actor amazing actor but we all still have our insecurities so please do share with a friend if you've listened to it and tag us in it on twitter and instagram i'm at security and Skid podcast at johnny c for on both thank you so much for listening until next time thank you so much i've been johnny c for thank you and goodbye What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.